Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's gonna be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. Uh, so we are launching our new series, The Good Life. And uh, as I was thinking about this series this week and kind of praying through it, um, a person kept coming to mind for me, and that was one of the wisest people that I've ever known in my life, and that was my grandfather on my mom's side, Grandfather Iverson. And this was a man that he was short in stature. He was only about 5'6", five, 5'5", five, five, but he was a giant in his community. He was a hardworking guy, a loyal guy, was raised, came up through the Coast Guard and started working at a bank when he was young and he became the branch manager in this little town. Everybody in the town knew him. He was honest, he was loyal, he was hardworking, he was a rock for that whole community. And I remember growing up as we would go visit him, uh, one of the other things he was, was he was a great storyteller. And so every night as my sister and I were going to bed or whatever, he would come in and he'd tell us bedtime stories. And not only that, he would tell us great stories. He loved to travel. And so he'd, he'd show us pictures of his travels. And in that day, this is how old I am, they had slides. He would have slides of his travels. How many of you are old enough to remember a slide? That's right. All you young people, Chapman, just Google it, right? It's like, it's amazing. I'll bring you an artifact next year. Uh, so here's the thing. So he would show slides. And you know, they go on those trays and they're super slow. And you know, it holds like 150 slides. And he would spend 10 minutes on every story of every picture. And I'm like, how long is this going to take? As a little kid, it drove me nuts. But at the same time, it was amazing because he would make these places come to life. He would make you want to go there. He'd make, ah, oh, I want to go see this. I want to be a part of this. And so I remember as, as my grandfather was passing, my wife and I, Holiday and I, went to visit him. And our kids were still super young, so they didn't go with us. It was just she and I. And he was sharp till the very end. And he was telling stories and he was reminding us about who God was in this life and his qualities and his characteristics. And we were able to pray with him. And as we were walking out, he said, wait a minute, come back here. And he grabbed my hand and he looked me in the eyes. And he said, make sure you teach those kids God's word. Make sure you read God's word. Make sure they know him through his word. That was the last thing that my grandfather said, the wisest person that I know. And as I've been thinking and praying about this series, The Good Life, and this whole world that we live in and how confusing it is and the pain that exists and the hatred and the disunity and just how relationships get frayed and just the pain even exists in, in our own lives, I can't help but think, I wonder, I wonder what grandpa would say. I wonder what he'd have to say about all this. And so as we're engaging this series, The Good Life, and what does it mean to have a good life in today's world? Is it even possible to have a good life in today's world? I remembered that God gave us a Grandpa Iverson in the Bible. His name's Peter. Peter was a man, hardworking, loyal, faithful, zealous, passionate, 
One of the first disciples that Jesus ever called to be with him and to follow him. Peter was an eyewitness to the work of Jesus. He was a defender of Jesus. He was a good friend and a loyal follower. He was zealous and courageous to defend Jesus, sometimes a little more than he needed to be. Jesus looked at him and basically, you're a rock, Peter. That's what Jesus said about him. You're a rock. And towards the end of his life, as an old man, Peter wrote his last words. And he was writing to the church that had been scattered all around the region because as people were choosing to follow Jesus, there was oppression and there was hatred and there was division and there was disunity and they were confused about what was happening in this world and how how is this possible? And so Peter writes them a couple letters to try and help them remember who, who they are, but also, and more importantly, who God is. And that what a good life looks like and how it's even possible in the world. So I want to invite you guys to go on this journey with me, with us over these next few weeks. Grab your Bible. If you brought it with you, turn to the very back. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, if it's on your phone or whatever, scroll all the way down, 1 Peter. I always tell you guys, if you ever need a Bible, I would love for you to have a Bible. There's always Bibles right back there at our Next Steps corner. We'd love for you to take one with you. It's a way of hearing God, circling, you know, words that stand out, writing things in the margin that he's talking to you about. You've got to have a Bible. So make sure you grab a Bible if you need one. First Peter, right at the beginning, chapter 1. It says this. This letter is from Peter. See? I told you. I'm not lying. He wrote it. An apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Essentially, remember, scattered all throughout the region. That's kind of modern day Turkey for those of you geography buffs. God the Father, he knew you and he chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed him and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Essentially, there is so much rich theology that's packed in these first two verses. But here's the most important thing. Peter, wise, old in his years, helping people remember the most important thing. These people that are scattered and being persecuted and oppressed and confused by what's happening in the world. And he said, here's the deal. The good life is a life with God. That's essentially what he's summing up. The good life is life with God. And the good life is only possible if you have a relationship with God. And that's what he's summing up for them. Remember, the good life is life with God. And he's saying, you know this. You understand this. You're God's chosen people. Some of your translations may say you're God's elect. And he describes what that even looks like. Well, you know God. You've trusted him. You hear his voice. You follow him. You do what he tells you to do because you're in a relationship with him. So remember that the good life is life with God. And there's lots of different ways people can interpret these different words, but here's the most important critical thing. The good life is a life with God, and a life with God is only possible through a relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's what's essential. That's what's unifying about the church. The good life is a life with God, and a life with God is only possible through a relationship with Jesus. And that's basically what, Paul, what Peter's doing, is just reminding them. Remember? 
you have a relationship with Jesus. Remember, you couldn't do life on your own. Remember, you couldn't earn your way back into a relationship with God. Remember, you can't do it on your work and your power and your strength. And that's why Jesus took all of that. It's about his work on the cross. It's about his power that overcame death. It's about his strength that holds you. Right at the very beginning, that's what Peter's doing. He's just saying, hey, remember, the good life. The good life is a life with God. And so I got to believe that the first question that, that Grandpa Peter would ask you and ask me today is, do you know God? Do you know him? Are you in a relationship with God? Have you trusted your life to Jesus? Or are you still trying to do it on your own? You're still trying to do it on your power and your strength. You're still trying to be good enough. You're still trying to give enough. You're still trying to manage your relationship. Or are you just going to trust Jesus and be in relationship with God? Because Peter's saying that, that is the good life. And you've got to remember, that's the beginning. That's the foundation of the good life is a life with God. And I don't know where everybody is in this room. My bet, there's a spectrum. Some of you, just like me, we've been walking with God a long time. This is part of our journey where we get to come and be encouraged and be reminded about who God is and celebrate that and sing that back into our souls and our lives. And every single day, it inspires us and encourages us and we meet together with people in our life groups and we serve and we give and it's a part of our journey. We're passionate about the good life, life with God. And my bet is for many of us, you're here because you're exploring, you're overwhelmed, you're intrigued. Maybe you're overcome by just the pain of the world and the division and the hatred. You're confused by it and you're like, I don't know. Maybe there's something to this whole church thing. Maybe there is something to God. I don't know where you are, but I know that you're in the right place. And I know that this is the way we remember together and become who God called us to be. And I know that you're right. There must be something to this and you're right. Whether you're here just exploring or whether you're here because you're walking with Jesus and living the good life, it's what Peter unpacks next. He reminds us of why the good life is even possible. He says this in verse three, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. The good life, life with God, what he's saying is, it's a life of hope. The good life, a life with God, is a life of hope. It's a life that can transcend the circumstances or the pain or the questions or the confusion of this world. The good life is a life of hope. And we need hope. We're desperate for hope. Hope is what fuels us. Because all of us have either experienced seasons in our life or we've walked with people in our life who've become hopeless. And I read something this week that stopped me and, and even resonated. It said, take away hope and our world is reduced to something between depression and despair. 
you take hope out of the equation of your life, out of anyone's life, the whole world gets reduced to something between depression and despair. And that's not the good life. And that is not life with God. And that's why the very first thing he does is remind them that, oh, no, 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 the good life, life with God through Jesus is a life of hope. And he unpacks it a couple different ways. He says it's an eternal life and it's an empowered life. He says it's an eternal life. He talks about this priceless inheritance. And basically, he's describing, this, he's describing heaven. He's reminding us that all through the Bible, over and over, it just keeps telling us, remember, this world isn't your home. Don't get too settled. You're just sojourners passing through. We're described, literally our physical journeys are described as shadows. Like just a breath. There's your life. But it can consume us. We start to think this is everything. And he's going, no, no, no. Remember, there's eternity that's in front of you. And that eternity should bring hope. Because it's pri- you have a priceless inheritance. And what does that look like? Well, we were singing about it earlier. Right? So basically that song and what Peter's capturing here is in John chapter 14, Jesus gathers his disciples right before he's ready to go to the cross and, and he's ready to leave them and he's reminding them of their inheritance. He's reminding them of the hope they have when they live the good life, a life empowered and trusting Jesus. And he says, remember, and he starts talking to them about eternity. He starts talking to them about their father who's preparing a place for them. Their father who's good and powerful. And lots of different translations. It's, it's a room or it's a mansion. Either way, he's just going, look, you don't understand. He's like, you're all trust fund babies. He's like, anybody ever watch My Lottery Dream Home? Right? Like these people just make it in there. We're going to go build the killer place. Let's go find it. HGTV, try it. You know what I mean? It's like great theology on TV. But here's the thing. He's going, you've got a mansion. And it's not, here's the thing, it's unique. You've got to understand there's a father who designed you, who created you, who loves you, who pays attention to you, who knows exactly what you need. And he's designing and creating this place just for you. And it's not small. It's not an apartment. It's not a converted garage, right? It's not like a master plan community in Irvine where all of our mansions are the same and they just paint them different colors. It's not that. I live in Irvine, I know. He's saying you have a father. The good life is life with a father who created you, who sees you, who knows you. He knows the way you think. He knows what your passions are. He knows what pictures you would want hung on the wall. He knows all the furnishings that you'd want. He knows the activities that you'd want. He knows the games that you'd want in the cupboards. He knows the people that you'd want to play those games with. You see, he's preparing this place through your life here on earth. And he's saying, you have this priceless inheritance. You're a billionaire. You're a trust fund baby. So live like it. You have hope. It's beyond anything that you're experiencing in this world or in this lifetime. And that's what he's putting on display. The second thing is that it's not just about tomorrow. It's not just about what happens after we die. The second thing is you have an empowered life, which is for today. You have the strength to go through anything that you will have to navigate today because of the power of God at work in your life. The word he uses here, 
right, is literally the same word that we get our word dynamite from. He's like, it's explosive power. You have no idea how powerful this is. And Peter, right, he described in Ephesians 1, it tells us a little bit about this power. It says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the power that lives in you. When you choose to live a good life, a life with God, that same power is the power that's put inside of you. It's not like a JV smaller version. It's like, yeah, let's start them small. It's the same power. That's what God gives. And how do we, how do we know? Oh, that's right. This is Peter who understands it because he was an eyewitness to the power of God through Jesus. He was with Jesus when he was performing and doing all these miracles. Left him awestruck. Remember, they'd ask questions. I don't get this. What? He was there. Remember, he saw Jesus after he was risen from the dead, saw him die, ran for his life, remember? And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, 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 go get Peter. I got to see Peter. I want to talk to him. Peter's telling us, like, you guys, this is true. This is real. It says, because God raised Jesus from the dead, we can live with hope. And the same power is empowering your life. That same power. So when you run out of strength, when you run out of energy, when you run out of resources, when you run out of answers, when you run out of life, that's the place. He's like, God's going to carry you. That power will hold you. Jesus is there to give you his strength and his power and his wisdom and his comfort and his grace. When you're bouncing off the guardrails of depression or despair, he's there to give hope that there's a good life, a life of eternity that's empowered by his spirit. That's the promise that Peter's reminding them about. Remember this good life. It's a life with God through a relationship with Jesus that gives you a hope that's bigger than anything you'll experience in this world. And here's the thing. Here's the thing he understood. We have choices. You don't have to live this kind of good life. You don't have to live this kind of life. We have options. We can live the... The good life, we can live the good life, life with God, life his way. Or we can live the good life that the world promises, which is essentially life my way, right? Extra credit, go listen to Frank Sinatra. He sang all about it. You can do it your way. You can try that. Lots of us do, all of us do. But what happens when you run out of power? What happens when you run out of strength? What happens when you run out of resources? What happens when you can't be who you thought you were or who you want to even be? What happens when your relationships start blowing apart? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you start bouncing off the guardrails of depression and despair because you can't kick the addiction that's got a hold of your life? You see, you can choose to do life on your own. You can believe that the good life is life on your power. But there'll be an end to your power. You'll reach the end of yourself. And not just here. What about eternity? Anybody have the confidence 
to step into eternity on your power? With your knowledge? With your resources? You see, Peter's just stopping them and reminding them of who they are. Remember. Remember, this is a good life because you have life with God through Jesus, giving a hope beyond this world and a power to navigate it. That's the invitation, and we understand that. So I think Peter would probably just pause here and say, whose power are you trying to live life on? Whose strength? Whose wisdom? Whose resources? It's an invitation. Say, I want to live life on God's power, on his strength. The other thing I love about Peter and God's word as a whole is it's not naive to, to pain and brokenness in, in our stories. I feel like passages like like this, like all of them, basically. It's like God saying, I see you and I know how hard this life in this world is. You see, and remember, Peter is writing to people that were literally being oppressed and persecuted and ostracized. They were scattered. They weren't even at their home anymore. They were living as foreigners and strangers to avoid these things. And so you can imagine the tension and the pain, and not only that, like they had chosen to live the good life with God and put their trust in Jesus and their life got worse. It didn't get better. And so you can imagine their confusion. You can imagine the pain. It's like, wait a second. And how often do we do that? We want to step into a relationship with Jesus. All right, I'm going to trust God. Here's what I can almost guarantee you. Whatever you walk out into this week will be harder if you choose to trust God more today. I don't even know what it'll look like. I just promise you, it's going to get harder. And so Peter's writing to these people, and I love the honesty in verse 6. He says, there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Here's the thing. I love the honesty because he says, even though you must endure many trials, it's not, hey, if things get hard, it's like, oh, they're hard. And he doesn't even say it's going to get better right away. You're going to endure many days like you're experiencing right now. I mean, you got to love the honesty of Peter. And of God, to even put that, just say, it's hard. It is hard, and it's going to be hard. And if it's not hard for you today, praise Jesus. But it's going to be. It's just the promise. It's hard. And so basically, essentially, here's the thing. We can walk through that pain and trials with God, or we can walk through pain and trials without him. That's the choice. You can live the good life, life with God, or you can live the good life on your own strength. You can do it with him or you can do it without him, but you're gonna walk through pain one way or the other. 
And basically, in these two verses, what Peter's doing is once again reminding them of why they would want to do it with God. Because he says a life with God can bring purpose to the pain that you experience in your life. Only God can do this. Only God can actually take the pain and the hardship and the challenges and the persecution and whatever it is you might endure physically or emotionally or spiritually or relationally. Only God can take that and actually bring something good out of it. Only God can take that and give it purpose and meaning and life and actually make something more beautiful. And he's describing how he does this is he talks about trials purifying and trials actually bringing praise and glory. He's talking trials have an opportunity to do these two things. They can bring, they will purify and refine and they're gonna bring beauty. And he describes it, right, as gold, as fire testing gold. And they would have understood this context, right? Not that all of them were goldsmiths, but they would have understood in the Eastern context, goldsmiths, they would leave the gold in the fire until literally it burned away all of the impurities and all the defects, and it was so pure that they could see their reflection in it. That's how they knew that it was ready. And that's what he's describing is this world where, look, God will use these trials to burn away any imperfections and any impurities. He'll use trials to burn away impatience. He'll use trials to burn away resentment. He will use trials to burn away unforgiveness and bitterness. He will use trials to burn away selfishness. He will use trials to burn away these things in your life. The, imperfect, the imperfections and the humanity, he'll, he will use it to burn those things away so that what? You get to see his face. And people get to see his face reflected in your life. You see, that's how he uses trials to purify, to bring something beautiful out of that. And it's hot and it's painful. But only God can bring something beautiful and bring purpose to it. We see this in people's lives all around us all the time. I've learned to look for it because it gives me so much courage. We see people walk through pain, through loss, through devastation, through physical challenges, through sickness and illness, and we see them hold on to faith. We see them hold on to God. We see them hold on to the hope that they have in Jesus, regardless of the circumstances that are happening around them. And I don't know about you, but it's staggering to me. It's humbling for me. This week, I was reminded of that personally again in a very close way. Lots of you guys know if you've been here, my dad has been declining with dementia for like 15 years. It's been forever. And the person that it impacts the most and is closest to it, quite honestly, is my mom. He's still at home. She gets care there a few days a week, but she's the one who has walked with him. And this week... With just the weather and the dryness and all those things, he was having some more challenging physical issues, nosebleeds and stuff like that, that just got out of control. And so he started vomiting, and it was just, it was painful. It was terrible. And it wouldn't go away. So she called me, and she said, Kyle, can you guys come over? And my whole family happened to be there, all my family from Northern California, my sister, my brother-in-law. And so we're all there, and I go there, and my dad looks awful. 
He just looks like a shell. He's just white. And all I can think about is just the evil that's just been stealing his life for so long. And the pain, and, this, and I'm like, what? This is terrible. And we're just trying to help him get through this day. And my mom, my mom has her hand on his head and is just stroking him. And she's like, this is so hard. And she said, but you know what? God has been so kind over these years. She says, you know, things like this used to make me impatient. She goes, but I can just sit with them for hours now. She's like, we're not in a hurry. She was just telling him, it's okay. You're going to be fine. Every now and then he'd open his eyes. And I just watched as my mom was kind and loving and gracious and generous and even joyful. She would smile. Just say, we have to, look at how thankful we can be. All of us are here together. We didn't even know this is what... She was finding things to be grateful for in the midst. I got to see the face of Jesus in my mom this week. Because the fire of 15 years has just burned off. So much of the humanity. So what remains is just this beautiful reflection of Jesus. I got to see this passage in the flesh right in front of me. You see, that's the invitation that Peter is giving every single one. He says, this is what it looks like. You know what it looks like. You guys know what it looks like. You see, life with God, the good life, it's because you live with hope. There's a perspective that's beyond whatever it is you're going to experience. There's a power that will walk you through anything. And you become more beautiful in the midst of it. That's the life we all want. We want to be those people. We want to be my grandfather. We want to be Peter. We want to be my mom. And so Peter finishes this this opening, verses 8 and 9. He says, you know, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Peter, remember, is an eyewitness to Jesus. He had walked with him. He had seen him. He had experienced personally all of this in his life. But he's writing to people largely that had never seen Jesus. Just like you and just like me. And he's saying, I know, I know that you're choosing to love him even though you've never seen him. You're choosing to trust him. And you're choosing to have joy even in the midst of it. That's what he's saying, the good life. Life with God, a life empowered by Jesus. It's choosing to love, choosing to trust, choosing to have joy even in the midst of the greatest pain. Peter's essentially looking at them and looking at us now thousands of years later and just saying, look, you've decided to do life with God 
by following Jesus. Stay the course. Don't let the circumstances of this world or the confusion or the pain, don't let it aim you at depression or despair or hopelessness. Stay the course. Another grandfather, my wife's grandfather on our other side, I was thinking about that this week and a very similar moment with him. A few years back, he was passing away. We were at a hospital together. He was sharp till the end, telling stories. A powerful man that had anchored his life to Jesus for so long. And at this point, our kids were much older, so we were all together as a family, just in his hospital room. And time came for us to go. So we are getting ready to walk away, and Papa said, wait, 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 send those kids back in here. So the kids turned around and walked back in here. And I just watched from the foot of the bed as he grabbed their hand, just like my grandpa did mine. And he looked them in the eyes and he just said, stay the course. Stay the course. I know life's hard. I know it's confusing. I know it's painful. I know the world is going to want to entice you in so many different ways to try and do it on your own and to trust yourself, but stay the course. You've chosen Jesus. You love him. Trust him. Let him give you joy and strength. Let him refine you. Let him bring purpose to the pain that you're walking through, but stay the course. You see, that's the good life. That we're going to go on this journey and adventure and learning more about and discovering and becoming more of who God created us to be. So today I'm going to invite you, if you would, just close your eyes, bow your heads. So Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you knew every single one of us was going to be in this room, in this space today. Thank you that you understand our journeys. For some of us, we love you, we trust you, we rely on you. For others, we're learning more about you. We have questions. maybe even some fear or doubt. Thank you that you can hold all of that. But I believe that wherever we are in our journey today, you're inviting us to take our next step of faith. There's always a new step. Step of loving, step of trusting step of receiving whatever it is you have for us. So I pray as you mark this moment with us, as you speak, that you would help us to step more into the good life that you offer and that you promise, a life with you, 
a life for you, a life empowered by your strength. Speak to us and give us the humility and the courage to take our next step of faith with you.